Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this or this afternoon. Thank you for the time that we have together to look into your word and to sing your praises and to fellowship together. And uh, I pray as we look into your word, you would grant us wisdom and insight into what you intended so that we would become more and more like your son, Jesus. We pray for that and pray you bless your word as it goes out now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you were to walk into uh, a different uh, set of churches today, you might find a whole bunch of different things going on. There's a lot of different things going on in a lot of different churches. Uh, you might come into some churches and there's a rock band playing and, you know, and there's a, a little sermonette or whatever it might be. You might come in and there's a very structured uh, uh, service with bells and, you know, and whatever it might be, callings and things, you know. But how is it that we're to meet? How is it that we are to be built up in Christ? You see, God actually likens his children to a building, a building being built up, a building being, uh, uh, just as we see, we're working on our building project out there, and we're getting ready for the grading, and then the foundation, and then the building. And with that in mind, God takes us, and he builds us up. But first of all, he lays the foundation. That foundation is found in the truth concerning Jesus Christ. The reality that we are all sinners and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And God has this good news out to everyone. The good news is that although he is just and right and holy and must bring wrath uh, for sin, that he sent his own son in our place. God took on human flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived the perfect life. He went to the cross and died for our sins. He bore our sins on his, in his body on the cross, and he died and rose from the dead. And when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we, are receiving, we receive his righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. And God begins that building project. Before we were separated from God, we were without hope and without God in the world, living the consequences of our own sinfulness. Sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't work out well, but ultimately it's not good because there's a judgment for sin. But God intervenes with the truth of his son Jesus, and he saves us. And once we're saved, that foundation is laid, and then he builds upon that to start changing us to make us more like his son Jesus, to change us. To, to weed out sin out of our lives and to make us more like his son. And ultimately we will, like we sang in that song, sweet by and by, we will be in his, in his presence uh, with no more sin. You see, not only with uh, salvation comes a new inner man uh, it's being born again, but ultimately we will be glorified. These bodies that are wearing out and dying and, and getting sick and all that will be, will be raised because of Jesus Christ. And so he begins that building project. Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. We've been going through it, and we've come to chapter 8. And the first uh, seven chapters were basically about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the gates. Uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes. This is back uh, in uh, 444 B.C., and he was the cupper, a very high position, and he has heard. Now, they're the, they're the world empire. They're in control of everything. They are sovereign over the Jews that had been taken away to Babylon. Now they were in Persia. But God, through his grace, allowed some through Cyrus before and then through Artaxerxes to go back to the land to rebuild the temple. 
and to build it up, and they did. Uh, but yet the people weren't rebuilt. Nehemiah gets word that the walls of the city and the gates are b- broken down, and he's distressed over it. The people are distressed. And so he uh, goes to Jerusalem, and through his uh, godly leadership in the midst of great difficulty and opposition, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. And that's what the first part of Nehemiah is about, the rebuilding of the walls and the gates. But the second part of Nehemiah, which we've come to, is about God's rebuilding of the people. You see, God is not concerned, per se, about gates and walls, uh, certainly for his namesake, but he is concerned about people. He's concerned about where we are in reference to him. And so the Jews had not been in very good shape. Uh, and they had been, and for, for lack of a better word, sinning. We all know about that. Everyone know about sin. I know about sin. That's the way I lived my life before I came to Christ, and I'm still tempted to sin. And these Jews are believers, and they were not fully following the Lord. And so God needed to not only rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he needed to be rebuild them. And those first illustrations of those opposition to the rebuilding of the walls really apply to us too because we have an enemy, Satan. He doesn't want you to be built up. He doesn't want you to be walking right with the Lord. He doesn't want you to have joy and, and happiness, right? And so there's opposition there. But here, we're, so we're going to see in our passage, there is a way in which God builds up his people. There's a way in which he does it. And we're going to see that that way is through the word being brought forth to his people uh, when they are receptive when they are willing to hear, when they are attentive, when, they're, when they want to know what God says, from, not what a preacher says, but what God says from his word. Now, uh, so would you turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'll be reading the scriptures too, so if you want to pay attention and just listen or turn about whatever is uh, convenient for you, I'll be reading it also. But as I mentioned, we are now in the context of the spiritual rebuilding of these Jews, okay? Now, I'm going to go back and read back the first uh, six verses in Nehemiah 8. We went through those last few times, and and we're going to go from 7 and on, but I'm going to read back. And the people gathered as one man in the square, this is Nehemiah 8.1, in the square which is in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given had given is to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, all who could listen with understanding, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in the front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose, for the purpose, and beside him, and I'm going to sh- I'm going to shred these names up, but let's try it. Uh, stood Mattathiah, Shema, An- Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, Messiah, and his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, uh, Malcha, Mal- Malchah, uh, Hashburn, ha- uh, Hashabada, Dadana. If you've got a kid, you're going to name. There you go. There's some new names for you. Uh, Zachariah and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, the, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. 
while lifting up their hands, and they bowed down low and worshipped the Lord with their faces towards the ground. That's what we've seen so far, but now let's continue and look at what we'll see today. And and here we go. Now we've got a bunch of names again. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akbub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people why the people remained in their place. And they read from the book of the law, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. This is a great passage, and the reason why it's so great is because it helps us gain insight into how God's teachers are to teach God's people so that God's people would understand. It's a great passage. You know, when I went to seminary, you know, they had all these different shticks and ways to, 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 to try to trick people into understanding God's word, to do a song and a dance and all this to, to peddle, for lack of a better word, to peddle the word of God so that people might understand and come back and fill the churches up. Well, the reality is the apostle Paul shared in Second and 1 Corinthians 2 that he didn't come with superiority speech or wisdom. But he proclaimed uh, God's wisdom, and he proclaimed it God's way. And that's what we want to do. We want to learn how to, how to teach the Word of God, certainly rightly as teachers, but also we all are to be taught also. What kind of teachers are we listening to? We need to examine God's Word to make sure they line up with God's Word. And God's Word is the standard, not what someone says or does. It's what God's Word says that is the standard. So here... I remember we're talking about the spiritual rebuilding of God's people. Israel was in a sad situation here. They had this group of, of people who they had left comfortable lives in, in, in Persia, and, and the king of Cyrus initially had let the, them go to rebuild the temple, and it was kind of difficult. You can look at that in Haggai and other places. And then uh, time went by, and they didn't really get things done, and they needed to check their priorities. Things were messed up. Then they started marrying foreign women and all sorts of stuff, and all kinds of sin was getting back in. Remember, Israel was very idolatrous up to the point from when they entered the land in Joshua up to the point where they were expelled. They were, and they were listening to false prophets. They were listening to those giving them, hey, you're good when things aren't good. I mean, so, so they're not in good shape. And they came, these group, they came out to follow the Lord. They wanted to rebuild the temple. And then another group came out with Ezra to, to bring the, the utensils to the, to the temple and to the things that were needed, that he would establish uh, Jerusalem by the law of God. And Artaxerxes let him do that 14 years earlier. Then Nehemiah came, as we see in 444. But the people were not doing well. They were not doing well. They were not following the Lord. They were not following his word. 
and they were distressed. Believe me, when you're not following God's word, your life is no good. It's in shambles. No matter how good things are, these people, they get everything. They're still messed up, right? Uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And so they were distressed. They were messed up spiritually. And so God is going to restore them. He's going to build them up. And some of us need to be restored. Maybe we've let sin get in the back door. Maybe we've allowed certain things to, to go in our lives that are not right. And God's a good, good God. He spanks us, right, that we would share in his holiness. So here, we've seen already in the book of Ezra, and I read it, the first portion on how we are to be restored. First of all, as we saw last time, we need to start with a desire to hear what God has to say. Not what man has to say, but what God has to say from his word. We just start with that desire. And you'll remember in verse 1 of chapter 8, all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which was given to Israel. They're calling Ezra. Ezra, bring the word of God. You know, this is unique for them. This is unique. They're calling upon Ezra. We know from the book of Ezra, which comes behind here, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that Ezra was a scribe and a priest. And he was one who came to Israel because God's good hand was upon him. We see that in the book of Ezra, chapter, I think it's six or seven, one of those chapters. And God's good hand was upon him. And it says, for Ezra had set his mind, Ezra 7.10, to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it to Israel. Ezra had set his mind to do what God had called him to do. But first of all, you've got to obey the word yourself. You know, what a hypocrite, uh, someone who teaches you the word and doesn't obey it himself. You know, you need to obey the word yourself. Look, Timothy was told to look to himself and then, obviously, to the people. So Ezra is one. And so they call Ezra. It's been 14 years. They want to hear the word of God. This is amazing. And so Ezra brought the word of God. So we need to have a desire. We know from 1 Peter chapter 2 that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he gives you desires you didn't have before. He gives you a desire to hear his word. Before you didn't, you didn't care about it. Well, you might, when he's drawing you unto himself, you start to go, wow, I'm, I'm starting to be interested in this. But, but before, we just cared about our own lives. But once we come to Christ, have our sins forgiven, he changes our hearts and we want to hear it. But it's when sin gets in the way, we get dulled. It's like that one pastor said, you know, uh, sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. God's word helps us to turn to him so that we wouldn't sin. And so Ezra's called to read this. Ezra's a good guy. He's a priest, and he is a scribe. A scribe is simply one at that time who was learned in the word of God. And then notice verse 2, then Ezra, and this is reviewing, this, these are all tied together, or otherwise we would have had a two-hour sermon last time, so we've got to review this. But uh, then Ezra, brought, Ezra the priest brought, verse 2, the law before the assembly of men and women, all who could listen with understanding uh, on the first day of the seventh month. Now, the timing is going to be important when we get later on in the chapter, because later on we're going to see... This is the timing when they should be having their feast, which they have forgotten about for year after year after year. They haven't obeyed God's word. And they're going to, later on, we're going to see, they get convicted like, whoa, we should be celebrating this feast right now and being obedient to the Lord. You know, but they're not there yet. But Nehemiah is laying the groundwork to know what timing's going on because they're going to get convicted. They're going to get convicted. They, they should be obeying. 
And so he said, all who could listen with understanding. This word is really important. It's all throughout our passage. It's bin in Hebrew, B-I-N, you could say. It, it means to discern or to understand. And so he's saying, everyone who had the ability to understand what God intends from his word were there. That means there weren't the small little ones. Now, we're a small church, but we used to have children's church, our largest. It's a church plant. You know, eventually, as the Lord grows us, we'll have children's church for those who can't understand what I'm saying. They're too young for that, right? You know, but then for those who can listen with understanding, you need to listen. What's the main point? What I've already talked about. I've talked about faith in Jesus Christ. I've talked about forgiveness of sins, being rebuilt when we're sinning, right? You can understand those things, right? Listen with understanding. And so all the men, women who could listen with understanding, the word also means to discern, to get it. I, I get it. I get it. You know, someone says to you, do you understand? You go, if you do, you go, yeah, I get it, right? It's, it's to understand what God intended. And so then uh, we see how God restores us spiritually. First of all, you need to have a desire to hear God's word. You need to have a desire. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear what he has to say about my life. I want to hear what he has to say about my actions. I want to hear how I'm supposed to be walking. I want to hear about him. I want to hear about Jesus. And so that's the first thing. And then notice, uh, after verses 1 and 2, we have verse 3, which is a summary. It's a summary of what we're going to see and saw last week in 4 through 6. I'm kind of rushing along here, but verse 3. And he read... From it, that's the word of the law, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, yes. Um, And he read from the square, which is in front of the water gate, that's one of the gates around the city of Jerusalem that they rebuilt, okay, from early morning until midday. This was an especially long service, right? (laughs) He read for a while, right? But they were attentive. In the presence, verse 3, of men, women who could understand, who could understand. Doesn't mean doesn't mean they're going to get it, but they are capable of understanding, capable of understanding. And all the people, notice this, were attentive to the book of the law. You know, we have an attention problem, right? Uh, we want things now. You know, we want our uh, Big Mac now. You know, we want everything. We got the drive. We got everything to get it fast. We got our microwaves. We don't have long attention spans, right? But sometimes we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention, especially to God's word. It's very important. And they were paying attention because they recognized and had a yearning to hear it. When you really want to hear it, when you know you need it, you're going to pay attention. When you know your life depends on it. When I went skydiving, um, they gave us uh, instructions. And I paid great attention because I didn't want to die. You see what I'm saying? I knew I needed to follow the instructions. I knew it was important. And so when you recognize that God's word is spiritually important, you pay attention. They were all paying attention. So the first step in being rebuilt by God is yearning for God's word, but then listening attentively, listening to hear what God has to say. And so then... Their ears, uh, the ears of the people, you could literally translate it here in Hebrew, the ears of all the people unto the book of the law. They're like this. They're listening. They're listening. And they were listening with intent, attentively. That's why we need to fight the distractions. You go, oh, he's got a big uh, piece of yarn on his sleeve. Or he's got a, his hair's out this way. Or there's a noise. Someone's tapping their foot. There's a pen going on. You know, there's all kinds of distractions. I guarantee as a believer, when you come to church, 
any, everything in the world is going to distract you from listening attentively to the Word of God. And we have to turn our attention to do it. And then notice verse 4 through 6 is an explanation because they were all listening. Now it's going to say, here's how they did it. And Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium. And that's why we have pulpits. We kind of model that, some wooden podium to speak from. And he was up elevated so people could see him. So at the wooden pulpit, which they made for the purpose, um, and that word podium means tower, um, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, the people stood up. And feel free to just to listen, too. I mean, you don't need to follow along. It's okay. Feel free to just listen. And so he opened the book, and all the people stood up. And so we have here... Um, this attentiveness. Ezra comes, they ask him, Ezra, read the word. Now they're explaining. He takes the scripture, he opens it up, and everybody stands up in attentiveness. There was a, a reverence for God's word. You see, when we see it as God's word, we're going to revere it. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13, uh, the Thessalonians, they were pagans. And yet when Paul brought the gospel to them, they realized it was the word of God. And they, they understood it was not the word of man, but the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And so maybe one of the problems that you might have or I might have at times is we come to church uh, and we don't have an expectation to hear God's word. It's very important. And so we need to listen attentively. The psalmist prays in Psalm 119.38, Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence that which produces reverence and i'm going through a lot of verses feel free afterwards to get the recording and just go through and check to make sure what i'm saying is so but uh, uh but he doesn't stop here notice what happens here the people stood up then verse verse six then ezra blessed the lord the great god that means he spoke well of god and it's in the context of prayer he spoke well of god we have a great and awesome god he spoke well about he blessed the Lord, the great God. We need to have that viewpoint when we come together. We need to change our understanding. Again, you know, we dress different ways at times based on, I'm not telling you to go out and get dressed to be legalistic, but I'm saying based on certain events and the importance to us, we might dress really nice for a certain thing. If you're going to go see, you know, a, a high official, in the whatever, you're not going to go in your shorts and thongs, right? There's a sense in which you have a, a reverence for them, humanly speaking. Well, for God... We need to have a reverence for him from the heart, from the heart. And he blessed the great God. And then noticed, they didn't stay standing when the word was read the whole time. Then they bowed down low and worshiped the Lord, their faces to the ground. These are believers. They've come to faith. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord. This is the preparation. This is why when we come to church, we sing songs and we pray. We want to focus on the Lord. We want to bow down and worship him as we sing. And then we hear we're ready for the word of God to work in our hearts. And so then, the people showed reverence for the Lord. They listened attentively. They listened attentively. So how does God restore those who are spiritually broken down? First of all, you need to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved the first step. And I pray that you have, and if you haven't, the opportunity is today. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, God calls out to all mankind through the gospel, and the gospel is the good news 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose from the dead. We are sinners. We're, God is a just God. Think of a judge, a judge that doesn't punish crime. We see that happening. We go, ah, something's wrong there. God is a just God. He is holy and he has to punish through his justice sin. But instead of punishing, he sent his son Jesus. Jesus said, he asked if this cup would pass, the cup of God's wrath upon him. He said, not thy, my will, but thy will be done. And he went to the cross and he bore the penalty for all of our sins. And God was satisfied with that. He proved it by raising him from the dead. And therefore, if you want to be free of sin, you want to be saved, you go to Jesus, God who took in human flesh, you say, I believe you died and rose from the dead. And you call upon him to save you, and he will save you. And it's from that point he starts to build us up. But sometimes we become uncooperative. We let sin get in, like the Israelites did. And we need to be rebuilt. And here we're going to see again how we are rebuilt. And the primary way that we are rebuilt is through the word of God. We've already seen we need to have a prepared heart. We need to listen attentively to understand what God is saying through his word. We need to have a reverent heart. This is God's word. We need to be worshipful in a sense. And then notice we come to our passage now in verse 7. And I'm going to read these names again. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book of the law, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. This is really important. There are some principles in here that are really helpful for how we are to teach God's word and how we are to hear God's word, because we're going to see that the word was made known to them. Verse 12, it was made known to them. And so here, notice our passage begins, verse 7, with the word also. In Hebrew, it could be also or and. It connects with what we just learned, uh, that Ezra was reading the word from morning to midday. And uh, here we're going to see that there were also Levites. And notice here, it says these names, uh, all these list of names, uh, And you'd think there's two groups. Basically, there's this group here, yes, of these names. Then there's the Levites. Well, if you look up in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5, you don't have to look there if you want to. It shares some of these these names. It says, then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabananeah, Sherebiah. And he goes on talking about some of those guys. So you have... A group of names, and then you have the word the Levites. Well, that group of names, they are all Levites also. But they are distinct Levites somehow. There's, they were, there's a distinction. Okay? And that's, so it says that they, this group of men, plus the Levites, which would be the unnamed Levites that we're helping to, we'll talk about that, explained the law to the people why they remained in their place. And you go, okay, well, I've, uh, looked at the Bible, and I've seen through it, and I say, well, who are these Levites? What are the Levites? Now, we need to remember that God has had different agreements with mankind, different covenants. Uh, He's made agreements. 
there was what's called the Mosaic Covenant. That was a covenant with Israel where he gave them his law and they were to obey it, but they didn't obey it. It was to show them that they were sinful, that they would come to Jesus. All the sacrifices pointed to one sacrifice. It was to show them that they needed Jesus. But instead, the Jews got prideful. We can do it. And that's that, those Pharisees. You saw that. They rejected Jesus, right? So we have the law that was given. And here we have the Levites. Uh, we know there are 12 tribes of Israel. And from Levi come the Levites. Okay, it's a tribe. It's a tribe of Israel. Now, a little bit about Levites here. Um, uh, the Levites uh, were those of the tribe of Levi, and they were the same tribe to which priests would come from. The Levitical priests, we have that, that statement. Now, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites, except for Christ, according to the line of Melchizedek, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. So God gave the Levites to the priesthood as a special gift. You go, wait a second, how's that work? Well, let me share a verse for you. In uh, Numbers chapter 8, verse 19, you can write this down, look at it later. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to the sons of among the sons of Israel to perform service of the sons of Israel. God gifted the priesthood, or those priests, uh, the Levites to perform service, religious service, service in, in worshiping the Lord. So we have that. But besides the priests and the specific duties of the Levites, they were given special support duties, such as the tabernacle and the furnishings. Uh, we see that in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. And obviously the temple. They were given duties in that. Uh, they were given pr- the great privilege to serve the Lord in places where others were not allowed to be. It was, it was a holy service. And they were so important to the Lord, he calls them his firstborn in position. He calls the Levites that. I'm just giving you some history of this. It's not the the main point, but in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Now, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel, so the Levites shall be mine. God set them apart to specially serve him. That's this group, that's this tribe out of the 12 tribes. The Levites had a special position of serving the Lord. We also know that they were judges. They judged things. We see that in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Uh, We know from Deuteronomy 33, they were also to, and this is important, teach the people. Let me read this, Deuteronomy 33. They shall teach my ordinances to Jacob, that's speaking of Israel, and the law to Israel, they shall put incense before thee and a whole burnt offerings before thine altar. They're to worship God and they're to teach God's people. That was the Levite's duty to take care of the temple and all the religious stuff in it, all the symbolism that pointed to Jesus, by the way. We don't do that now. It was symbolism, but it was holy. And they were to teach God's people. And that's why we have here the Levites teaching the people. That's what we see here. And so we even see that in the reforms of Josiah in in uh, in Second uh, Chronicles 35, we see uh, that uh, he also said to the Levites who taught Israel and who were holy to the Lord, the Levites taught Israel. Uh, we know uh, later on we'll see in verse nine of our chapter Nehemiah eight, 
It says, Then Nehemiah was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people. They taught the people. They were the teachers in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. They were the teachers. That's the point. So the Levites were the teachers. And now we have Ezra reading the Word of God, and we have the Levites within the crowd explaining the Word to the people. This is a large group. It's not like a small group like us. This was a large group of people. It wasn't as though Ezra was, he was reading it, and they were explaining. Later on, we're going to see Ezra explain too. Reading and explaining the Word of God. So back to our passage. Long introduction there, but back to our passage, verse 7. We have this list of people and the Levites, middle of verse 7, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Yes, we should listen to the public reading of Scripture. It's important. But God has also ordained, as we will see, that his word is explained so that we would understand. The implications of what God is saying, the, 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 there's conviction, there's correction, there's reproof, there's training in righteousness. We see that. And so he explained the law to the people as they remained in place. Now, it's interesting, if you have the NASB translation, it's a translation of the, of the Hebrew, here, the word explained is actually this same word translated to understand earlier, bin. And it's in a hifel form. What does that mean? It means to be caused. So they've translated explained, but it literally could say he caused them to understand. That's what teaching is, causing you to understand. You see what I'm saying? If you go and you're taught something at your work about this machine or this thing or whatever it might be, they're going to tell you the specifics and explain it to you to cause you to understand how to work the machine, whatever it might be. And so here, the Levites cause them to understand the law. That's basically what it's saying. And if you were reading Hebrew, you'd see this word bin, not the English explained. You would go, ah, it's related to that what he said earlier. All who could understand, the Levites cause them to understand. Later on, it's actually translated teach. It's actually translated teach. So he caused them to understand, to discern, to get it, to understand. And so we see this idea of teaching. We see this throughout here. Uh, we, I mentioned earlier chapter 8, verse 9, where it says the Levites taught the people. Same word. They taught the people. So then the word is read. And then it is, as we will see in a moment, distinctly declared to give, to put a sense in one's wisdom so that they would understand. This is a packed verse, and there's a lot to it, so I want to, and it's so helpful for us in understanding how to teach and understanding how we should be listening. So notice here, notice here in uh, verse uh, 7. So the goal is to understand, right? The goal is to understand. You get it. You get it. And if you understand the implications of what God's saying, it's a, then you're going to do what he says, right? So then, he explained or taught the people so that they would understand. And then look again at verse 8. And they read from the book of the law of God, translating it to give sense so that they would understand the reading. Here we've got a bunch of different words in Hebrew. It's kind of all convoluted, but hopefully be able to uh, share it with you and help you under, understand it, <laughs> Right? Um, some initial observations. Verse 8, you have the word translating. 
Now, for us, we think of translation uh, like uh, I, I, I hear some Czech uh, words, and Radka or Alanas explains what it means in English. They're translating, right? Okay. Um, but it's probably not the best translation here. Um, and the reason why it's translated this is because later on in chapter 13, verse 24, it speaks of some of the younger children from mixed marriages the Jews sinned in that didn't even know the original language. And so they're thinking, oh, they're having to translate for these young kids who don't know the actual Hebrew. They don't know their kid. They, that's possible. But more likely is the way some other versions translate it, and I think it's better this way. The word literally translating here uh, could be, in the, it's called parash in Hebrew. It's in a puel form. It doesn't make any difference. It means to distinctly declare. To distinctly declare. It even could speak of piercing or declaring or clarifying. And so the word translate is not the best translation there. Um, if you look in Ezra 4.18, you don't have to if you want to. Uh, this word is used, and it says translate and read in verse 4.18. And then the NESB puts a little note, plainly or clearly read. You know, And we even have a little note in, in, in ours. Uh, I think it says it talks about explaining there and for that verse. So here you have this idea of teaching. The word is read, and then it is distinctly declared. It is declared distinctly. It is is divided rightly. You see what I'm saying? And that's that word translating. And then you have this phrase, to give the sense. Literally means to put in sakal wisdom. So distinctly declaring... To put in wisdom, the word sakal, which is right here, which is uh, which is the sense in your Bibles, that means uh, wisdom, or or, or 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 it's the exact same word that was used back in Genesis chapter three, where Eve was tricked by Satan and she wanted to be wise. It's that same word. That means. So the point here is, is that they read from the book of the, the law of God, distinctly declaring it so that they would put in wisdom that they would understand the reading. Do you see how complex that sentence is? It's complex, okay? But it helps us understand. Verse 8 is so important. It is distinctly declaring the word to put in wisdom that one would understand. That's it. It's not simply reading it. It is teaching. It is teaching. You know, when you think about that on a human level, I used the example earlier about learning things. When someone's teaching you about a machine or starts learning about uh, the airplanes and stuff, they're distinctly declaring, they're putting in you wisdom so that you will understand. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what biblical teaching is, and that's what these Levites were doing. And they were hearing the word of God it was it was being uh, distinctly declared, distinctly declared in a stinging fashion to give the sense or to put the sense or, or wisdom in that you might understand. That term wisdom or insight could or could also be translated insight. To give, put in the sense could be translated insight. So hopefully that makes sense. So then these Levites, when the word was read, they read, was read in such a fashion that it was distinctly declared 
so that it would be placed wisdom in those who would hear that they would understand the reading. That's teaching. That's what God's teachers are to do. That's what God enables them to do. That's what God enables them to do. Turn to Luke chapter 24, or just you can listen. Luke chapter 24. This is on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And he is talking to those disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem. It's on the third day. And he does something with them. He does something with them. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the word of God, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He expounded, he explained, he did what we're seeing in, the, in, 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 in Nehemiah. He explained to them. And then look a little farther at verse 32. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was, what, explaining the scriptures to us? He's explaining about all those old covenant sacrifices, how, how the lambs that were killed every year, they didn't bring salvation, but he, as John would say, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How all those old covenant things pointed to Jesus. They were pictures of what would happen when Jesus would die for our sins. He explained to them their hearts were burning when he explained to them. There needs to be the explanation of the Word of God. There needs to be teaching of the Word of God. And that's what we need to be taught, and we need to listen and teach that way. And notice, uh, the result is explained back in our passage in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I keep mixing Nehemiah and Ezra's names up, so you know what I'm talking about. But Nehemiah. Um, and notice what it says in verse 12. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions to celebrate the great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. You see, when you understand what's being made known to you, you're going to rejoice if you get it. If you get it, okay? So then, uh, we have this passage back in our passage, the word being read in a distinct fashion that it would be placed into the hearer wisdom or insight, and from that insight would be coming uh, understanding, understanding. Okay, so these Jews got it. They got it. They understood. And sadly, if you're in a uh, typical evangelical church these days, even the way the Baptist churches are going, sadly, uh, you're going to get a 20 to 30 minute sermon, maybe some truth there. Uh, but I guarantee it's not enough to have been read distinctly and explained to put wisdom in you that you might understand. You understand. We need to be in the Word of God. They were there from the morning till the afternoon, hearing the Word of God, and it was being explained to them. You see, I read it earlier that, sadly, some people can't endure sound doctrine. When you're in your sin, you don't want to hear it. Uh, I read from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that there are those who cannot endure sound doctrine, but they accumulate for themselves teachers after their own desires, and turn away from listening to the truth to myths or to stories. And that's what we see these days. 
or, or maybe even a long message about a reformed lecture and the reformers and all whatever it might be, uh, all your underst- all your human wisdom, whatever it might be, but not the word distinctly declared uh, that it would be placed, it would place insight into the hearer that they would understand, that they understand. God has ordained that we are taught in the body of Christ. This is how our spiritual walls are built up. This is how we are rebuilt. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture, the written word, is profitable. It brings beneficial results for teaching. That's what we're doing here. For reproof, that means to be exposed. Oh, man, I'm wrong. For correction, that means to make straight again. An arm being set that's broken and then for training in righteousness, that the man of God would be adequate for every good work. God uses his word. Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He spoke into existence the first creation. Light be and light was. He speaks into existence us through the gospel, and he changes us through his word. He builds us up. And if our spiritual walls, our lives are shambles, uh, he builds us up by using his word distinctly declared and to gain that we would gain insight and we would understand. And later on, we're going to see they get it. They are weeping and they're going to get it later on. They're going to realize we have been disobeying God for years and they're going to go out and do the right thing. And God does it. He shows us, wow, you've been disobeying me. This is wrong. And we get convicted on it and we confess, Lord, I've been doing that. That's what confession means, saying the same thing. And God says this wonderful verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We just admit it. It was wrong. My thoughts were wrong. Uh, What I was thinking, what I did, what I said was wrong. And if we confess it, he forgives us because of Jesus. So then, they have heard the word, but God has ordained for us teachers, you know, and uh, and it's hard for me to share this because it sounds like I'm elevating myself because I'm teaching, but that's not the case. God gifts different people differently in the body of Christ. We function. Not everyone is a thumb. Not everyone is an eyeball. Not everyone is an ear. We have differing gifts, and he uses them together to build us up. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 20, verse 12, uh, verse 28, he's given to the church apostles, prophets, and third teachers. Apostles and prophets, foundation, that's done. Now he teaches the word that was built upon with them. We know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to appreciate those diligently among us who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. He's appointed that. We know from Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave certain gifts. And I'll read this for you, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that's believers, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man. He uses the teaching of the Word of God to build us up spiritually, that we would be more like Jesus, that we would function rightly in our relationship with Christ. And we see it. I mentioned 1 Timothy 4 uh, earlier about giving uh, attention to public description, exhortation and teaching says that first Timothy four thirteen. I read Second Timothy four about being commanded to preach the word in season out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Hebrews thirteen seven, remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you. 
The reality is when Peter had failed and the Lord Jesus uh, resurrected, restores him on the beach in John 21, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yeah, yeah, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That's the word of God, and that's what we need. So then, notice back in our passage, these Levites explained it, and now there's going to be a response. And the leaders are going to turn that response from one of grief to one of joy. Because as we're going to see, yes, when we realize we've sinned against God and we have been going the wrong way, our hearts are going to be broken. But God doesn't want it to stay there. He wants us to have joy and that joy be our stronghold. That joy that that he's forgiven us, that we're right with him, that he's changing us, right? Take a look here. We have in verse 9, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, we just saw that, right? Literally caused them to understand, um, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Now, some interpreters think that this day is holy because it's one of the feast days, which we're going to see later on, and because of the, they've translated the word festival later on here. I don't think that's the case yet because they haven't got to that point yet where they realize, hey, we've missed that. You'll see that later on. I think he's saying this day is holy to the Lord because of your response to the word of God. And when we gather together, it is holy to the Lord when we are hearing the word of God, when we are praising the Lord. And when you respond, it's a holy day. It's a holy day. It is, it is holy to the Lord. It is very special. Um, we know that when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice, right? We know that uh, uh, this day here is holy to the Lord. It says here, uh, do not weep or mourn for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. They were getting convicted. They were weeping. We have not been doing what we should have been doing. We've been sinning for years. They were convicted. They were convicted. They were weeping. And it's profitable. Scripture's profitable for conviction. It convicts us. Man, I haven't been treating my wife rightly. I've been treating my husband rightly. I man, I blew it with my words at work. I wasn't doing this right. I man, we get convicted. We go, man, and it hits our hearts. It hits our hearts. But then when we confess it, we're forgiven. It's not shall we sin that grace may abound. It's having a attitude as we will see of joy because we're forgiven. Notice what he says here. Middle of verse nine. They said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. So this day is set apart. You're responding. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful day. And notice what he says to them. Now this is Nehemiah, I believe, in context, who now says this in verse 10. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. Now we're in the south, that's sweet tea, right? No, I don't know about that. But uh, go, eat of the... Eat of the um, Eat of, the, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. Go celebrate. Go celebrate together. And for the one who didn't prepare anything, give him something, right? Give him something. For the day is holy to our Lord. And that's the different word, Lord. Notice it's lowercase. That's, Yah, that's, uh, that's Adonai, our master. Um, 
Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's interesting, we as believers, we know this first. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We sing songs, the joy of our Lord is our strength. You know, we sing those songs, right? But we don't read the first part. Do not be grieved. Don't let your conviction of sin and your grief over your sin turn you inward to yourself. We do that, right? We can be convicted of our sin and we're rightfully mourning over it, but then we start to have our pity party, right? Rather than praising God and thanking him for forgiving us, and there's a joy in that. There's a joy of forgiveness. For the joy of your Lord is your strength. That term strength can be translated stronghold. It's what holds you up. God's joy. He gives you joy when you've been forgiven. It's not that you go out and sin and you, and you confess and you got joy just because you're going to have a system. It's truly admitting and acknowledging and the Lord giving you joy. Don't mourn. If God's been convicting you, yes, you're going to weep, but stop. It's holy. It's a, it's a, it's a set-apart day. Allow God to strengthen you with joy. Let him strengthen you with joy. God's a good God. You know, there's joy in the Lord. There's joy in the Lord. And when you're following the Lord, there's joy. Yes, there's grieving over sin and stuff, but there's joy. And so the Levites, verse 11, knows what they did. The Levites calmed the people, saying, be still. You could literally say, be silent. That's what it says in Hebrew. Be silent. For the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Do not be grieved. And verse 12, and all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions to celebrate a great festival. Now, this is the word the NSB translates it wrong again, I think. They're thinking it's a festival day. It literally means, you might have a note in your Bible, a great rejoicing. That's all it says, a great rejoicing. Okay? And notice, they didn't go away and have the food and the sweet tea, whatever it might be, because the Levites told them to. Notice why they actually did what the Levites said. Look at this. This is so important. And the people went away to eat and drink, send portions, and to celebrate a great joy. That's what it is. Because the Levites told them to do so? Nope. Because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Go from here after church and rejoice when you understand the truth that you've heard. Right? They, not because we shouldn't mourn, because we, not because we should be silent, because God says so, but because God has revealed that we should rejoice. And we rejoice because we get it. We understand what we're hearing. We understand what God has said. That brings joy, and it's a joy that's together. Make great rejoicing. The people who were broken down spiritually in a bad place have a desire to hear the word. They listen, and God's teachers put it in them rightly, and they understand. And they leave after being convicted with great joy and great rejoicing because they understood the word. And notice there's another way it's being explained, which had yada, that's to make known, been made known to them. They understood it. Do you get it? Do you understand it? I've mentioned a few things. I've talked about the gospel a few times. Do you get it? You know, God has declared to all men everywhere through furnishing proof by raising Christ from the dead that there's judgment. There's judgment for sin. Therefore, all must repent. And Jesus proclaimed that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. If you've heard that, you realize, I need to turn to God from my sin. I can't stop my sin. 
I've got to turn to him to be forgiven. If you turn to Jesus, you'll be forgiven, and you will rejoice. You'll have joy. You'll have joy of salvation. And for us, those of us who know the Lord, if our spiritual walls are broken down and we're now listening attentively, we're hearing it, we're responding, that should bring conviction, but it also should bring joy for us. We should be the most joyful people on this earth. Sadly, we're often the most not joyful because when sin's in a Christian's life, you're not going to be joyful, right? But when we're right with the Lord, there's great joy. And let the joy of the Lord be your stronghold. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... uh, the truth that you have made known to us through your word. Thank you for these Levites and those who explained the word, who who uh, uh, spoke it distinctly to put in place understanding and insight that they would understand. And Lord, I pray that that has happened for us today, that we would understand and that we would respond rightly, that we would rejoice in what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that this world is not it, but yet while we're here, you are building us up, you are changing us, and we look forward to that day when we are with you in your presence. So we thank you for this this day in Jesus' name. Amen.